Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cinema Joes, the podcast where three average Joes discusses significant topics in movie culture. My name is Justin Mancini. I am one of your co-hosts here, and I am joined by my fellow co-hosts. Please uh, welcome, first of all, he's the podcast editor for ThePopBreak.com, as well as the co-host of TV Break, all part of ThePopBreak.com, Alex Marcus. Hello, Alex. Hey, Justin. How's it going? Going pretty well. We are also happy to have our other co-host here. He is, along with myself, the co-host of the Pod on the Rooftops podcast, all about the rock band Genesis, also for thepopbreak.com. Please welcome Noah France. Hello, Noah. Hello. Glad to be here. Yeah, great to be back with you guys, as always. And we (laughs) actually have a special returning guest uh, for this episode. He is the host of a Pod to Be You and the Queer Now podcast, part of Talk Film Society, Manish Mather. Hello, Manish. Hi, thanks for having me again. Of course. Oh, it's always great. It's always great when we can get you back on the podcast because uh, I think you're you're definitely one of our favorite guests here. Oh, that's so kind. I love being <laughs> on here, and I yeah, I'm really excited to be here. And uh, so this is a podcast. Don't tell uh, our other guests that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> um, well, this is the podcast where we usually discuss a recent movie release and then a larger topic related to that movie release. Uh, because we do have, uh, you know, four hosts on this, we're going to be doing kind of just a, I think, a longer review section, though we might get into some of the implications um, of the film itself, as well as some of the uh, post-credits sequences. You could but almost before... call it an eternal review. Yes, it will go on. I have to get as, money, as many of these in as I can. Yes. Um, <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners appreciate all of it. <laughs> Everyone. I know we do. <laughs> but uh, before we get into all of that, we're going to start with our full disclosure segment. This is where we talk about uh, recent stuff we've been watching. It could be really pretty much anything apart from the film that we'll be discussing as part of the larger review. Um, so this time, let's start with you, Noah. What's uh, What's been good for you lately? So I'm just, I'm just going to give a shout out today to uh, one of my favorite YouTubers, Super Eyepatch Wolf. Uh, he is an Irish guy. I don't know if he still lives in Ireland, uh, but he is definitely very Irish. And he mostly does YouTube videos related to uh, manga and anime, but also just about video games or whatever other topic he happens to <clears throat> want to talk about. And I've just been going back and um, getting my fix by rewatching a bunch of his uh, his Halloween specials uh, where he'll do list of, of scary, spooky things uh, for Halloween. He usually, I think last year he didn't do one because... 2020 was just such a weird year. Uh, But he went back and did one this year, and I really liked it, so I just realized that I hadn't really seen many of his past Halloween stuff. So I spent a lot of this week, uh, whenever I had some downtime at work, or I I needed something the background on to sort of fill the space. I've been going back through uh, his Halloween-themed videos from the past few years, and that's been a lot of fun. He's he's a really fun guy, and I always enjoy his videos. So anyone out here listening, if you've not uh, picked up or checked out Super Eyepatch Wolf on YouTube, I highly recommend it. And does he, so, sorry, you were saying that he, he does, is it mostly like anime stuff or is it a combination of different He kind of, he kind of does whatever he wants to. I mean, okay. like he, he did a very bizarre video that Alex hates me for making him watch, um, on Space Jam <laughs> oh, okay. just because he felt, just because he felt like doing a video on Space Jam. 
in broad strokes, if you look at his channel, like the vast majority, maybe 80 to 90 percent of his videos are something connected to um, manga, anime or video games. Uh, so that's kind of the general thrust of his channel. But it's it's whatever. Like he also did a whole video about his viral uh, Twitter thread of trying to get through Dell customer support. Um, which is also an ah. entertaining video, but also very depressing. Because <laughs> it reveals a lot about how customer service, uh, especially uh, in the IT world, works these days. <laughs> but so you're specifically endorsing his most recent Halloween special. What about his Halloween special? Is like, Can you describe it for us a little bit? Well, he kind of, it, it's a little bit tongue-in-cheek. He has sort of, in, in air quotes, an alter ego that comes out at Halloween and in air quotes tries to, like, break his viewers by describing terrible, spooky things. Um, some of them are scary movies. Some of them are, are horror-related video, video games. Some of them are just stories, um, like like ghost stories of, of one sort or another uh, that he recently heard and that he, he wanted to share. Um, so it's... It'll, it'll be sort of he, he'll regularly do a series where he's like, here are the things that I've been watching recently, kind of like the segment that we do now, um, but like a, a spooky edition in air quotes. Again, it, it's kind of tongue in cheek, like this, this alter ego that he's invented for Halloween. It's not dissimilar to the weekly manga recap guys, um, who one of them, much to the annoyance of the other hosts of, the, of that podcast, he brings out the spook master general uh, every October and does that persona in every podcast episode for that month. So it's something similar. It's just it's just a it's just a, a fun little side character that he does. Ah, oh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I can always count on you to <laughs> to give me like a new YouTube producer content creator that I've never heard of. <laughs> that's what I do. <laughs> troll people on YouTube. That's what I'm good for. Yes, that's what I think of when I think of YouTube trolls. <laughs> you. <laughs> It's All not right. YouTube, it's MeTube. I think that was a Time Magazine article from 2006. <laughs> <laughs> Person of the year? Why, it's you. All right, well, uh, let's go. <laughs> let's move on to, um, uh, let's go to our guest next, uh, Manish. What has been good for you recently? Um, yeah, so I, I, I saw Dune uh, twice now, actually. I, w I went to the theater twice to go see it, um, thanks to AMC A-List. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I mean, I, I had seen the first movie, um, the David Lynch movie from the 80s, a uh, number of years ago, and didn't really remember much about it, or, you know, I, I guess I liked it, but you know, I don't really remember. Um, so I was excited to see this, because I, I really like, um, I like the cast, of course, you know, Denis Villeneuve is one of my favorites, like, and this seemed like we were getting this kind of, like, big epic scale movie that felt like you know kind of hard adult sci-fi without like um you know without it being explicitly a kids movie like a lot of sci-fi movies are um except for the ones from Villeneuve I guess uh so it was I was just excited to see this kind of like weird space movie about like planets and spi like spice or whatever um and I, I really liked it I mean I liked it a lot the first time of course and enough to go see it again like a week later um but i uh, i really really liked it um 
the second time even more so. And um, yeah, I just thought it was really uh, expensive and interesting and, you know, kind of, um, you know, it had moments of levity, of course, but it also felt really just like, it just felt like a serious adult movie about, you know, space and stuff. And as I, for some reason, I just felt like that was really, it felt really refreshing. Um, and, you know, I like, it felt like it built upon, you know, Arrival and Blade Runner 2049 um, in a really cool way. It just was like, this is the culmination of all that, you know, prep work he had been doing. Um, and I'm really excited to see part two when it comes out in two years. Yeah, it has the green light now. Yeah. Yeah, it's happening. I I totally agree with you, Manish. I am, I think, more of a Villeneuve skeptic than you are. Um, sure. I, I love Arrival. Arrival, I think, is a perfect film. But everything else that he's done, I've, I've had trouble with. Um, mostly because I feel like his tone um, and his approach to the material never really matches the, the material as well as it could. There's always this kind of sense of, like, like, portentousness to his films and I oftentimes don't feel like the way that he is handling the subject matter really warrants that level of um, treatment I guess you could say Um, but I think he's totally met his match when it comes to the material in a positive way like I feel like this is the material that he's been looking for to apply his signature uh, style and aesthetic to and it's just it's just such an excellent uh, end product. I'm a really big fan of this film. Uh, it's definitely one of my favorite films of the year. Uh, I think it just has this incredible kind of hypnotic quality to it. It's just very sort of overloading of your senses in a way that really, really works for me. And it just watching it on the big screen, you know, I'm always a little bit skeptical of people who are like, oh, you have to watch this movie on the big screen. You have to watch it on the big screen. But this is a movie that really, really <laughs> is, uh, really rewards watching it subline C Tenet. <laughs> well yeah see like i watched tenant in on in at home on my ipad and i enjoyed it very much i thought it was great i didn't need to watch it on a huge screen but right. with dune there's just this kind of sensory overload that happens yeah that it's got this great scale of, to it and it and that's like the and it puts you inside of the character's perspective as well. The characters are having, especially like the Timothy Chalamet character of Paul. He is just so overwhelmed by his by his senses in both the present and the future um, in a way that is just so like. And uh, Delano, uh, Denny Villeneuve really captures that in a way that I think is only able to be fully appreciated if you're watching it with this incredible sound system and this like incredibly large screen i've recommended for people who don't want to watch it in theaters or can't watch it in theaters to at least watch it with headphones on with like high quality headphones because i really think that the sonic experience is almost as important as anything else happening on screen i would definitely mm-hmm. agree with that and i gotta say it's great to see Hans zimmer get finally come back with a, a score that hits it out of the park I, it felt like it had been a while since we'd gotten a really solid Hans zimmer work well um, i felt like a it was lot good of to see him back in his a game yeah, I feel like a lot of his score feels a little repetitive. Like, it feels like he had, like, an Inception hangover for a while. Um, and, or, or, may, or maybe a Nolan hangover. Because um, I, I think his work in the 2010s was just so influential that I felt like I just heard it everywhere. Um, and this score was just so, like, eccentric, you know, with the bagpipes and, 
you know, all the, like, shots of, like, the the dunes and, like, that, like, you know, really epic score, I was like, wow, this is... <laughs> like, it really yeah, sold me movie... on, like, this is a really intense, epic, important movie, and I, I was along for the ride. Um, and this movie leans hard on the Lawrence of Arabia callbacks. Very hard. But that's not well, a bad think, thing. Yeah. I think it does a really great job of creating a mythic quality to its material. And I think that the material mm. really warrants that. And so, like, when you're watching it, you feel like you're watching this both, like, just straightforward and also subversion of this mythic uh, quest, almost, you know? And it's like it... A lot of people kind of ragged on the ending for feeling like a little bit of just like a whisper into the into the night as opposed to feeling like a really impactful ending. I don't really agree with that. I think that there is something interesting about the choice of where he ended the story. But it also really just felt like watching the Lord of the Rings uh, Fellowship of the Ring, where it's just like, OK, like all this stuff happens and now we're going to go and we're going to destroy the ring at the end of the movie. And it's like, mm. wait, didn't we start out the movie? with the plan to destroy the ring, right? Like, so, but it has this kind of quality of like, okay, it's a chapter in a book and we're going to close that chapter and now we're going to open it up again in a new place uh, soon. And so I'm glad that we're going to get to see that um, within two years. Uh, But I'm, yeah, I really, really Wait, is it supposed to come out in in 23? Yeah, 2023. He's already written the script, so it's just a matter of of reschedule. They're going to be shooting it later this year. Yeah, I didn't feel the ending was abrupt. Um... It felt like, I mean, I, know, I, I guess I've heard the criticism that, you know, feels more like an intermission than the ending of, like, one standalone movie. And I'm like, well, it is one book, so... Right. <laughs> like, and I don't want to I mean, get too I deep watch... into what happens, because I know our friend Justin still hasn't watched it yet, but... yeah. Mm. But speaking broadly, I totally agree with you. I mean, I, I feel like part two, having not read the book, so I, I don't know what it's going to be like, um, but I feel like part two could easily run two and a half to three hours. Just, just my, <laughs> it just seems appropriate. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I don't think, considering how much everyone's obsessed with 90 minute movies, I really didn't think anyone would want to sit through a five hour movie. Um, and I also don't think theaters would like that either because then you can only really get like three shows so um i'm <laughs> I, like you know yeah. if you could say it's a money grab but i also think that like it just feels like you know it, it felt like it ended at a natural point for the story where like you know this is a it's not concluding but it's sort of like what you're saying which is like you know we've reached this point in the narrative and then now we know what's what's you know we know what's going to come well it's not that we know what's coming next but like you know, we understand that, like, the big battle or whatever is going to come in part two, you know? Yeah. yeah. Have you guys seen um, yeah, I... Jason and the Argonauts from, like, the 1960s? No. Have it's not. like, you know, it's like one of those, like, sword either. and sandals Greek mythology movies. It's, like, kind of, it's, like, 80 minutes long or something. Um, kind of like a B-movie of the era. Like, kind of no one, it's like one of those uh, Ray Harryhausen movies. Oh, yeah, okay. you know, with, like, motion. yeah. yeah. So that movie kind of ends in a similar way where, like, um, at the end of the movie, they're like, okay, now it's time to go fight this battle that, you, that you've been waiting for for the whole movie, and then it ends, and you're like, wait, <laughs> it just ends here? and There's no sequel. So to me, it reminded me of that, where it's like, okay, now we have to do this thing, and then it ends. <laughs> that that actually used to happen. That, that used to happen a lot. Like, movies would end... 
you know, the classic example is Buckaroo Banzai. End like with a cliffhanger or something <laughs> suggesting a sequel with the hope that it would happen, but it yeah. never actually does. Uh, I think people uh, people fail to appreciate how that used to be a little bit more. Different. I I like the fact I I very much appreciated that about Dune. I mean, it's it's uh, now apparently it's it's created enough of a buzz just within the past couple months that that's been able to to move forward. But it wasn't a guarantee. But I like that they took that swing anyway. Um, I feel like we've gotten we've gotten a couple of those, you know, between Dune and Eternals. And I would also I would also put uh, the Green Knight in this bucket. Movies that really aren't they're not they're definitely not purely commercially motivated. Like they're taking some really big swings and doing some out there stuff. And they're not obsessed with keeping the runtime down to, you know, in, in air quotes, a required you know, hour 30 or hour 40 minutes. And I like that. I, I like having more movies to say, you know, we're just going to do our thing and we're going to take as long as we need to to get to where we're planning to go, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It sort of feels like I, every movie these days is over two hours long. <laughs> and and even like over two and a half now. I'm just, it's just the yeah. last two movies I've seen in theaters were both like over two yeah. and a half hours, not <laughs> including the previews. <laughs> I saw The Last Duel, which I also recommend. That's two and a half hours long. Dune is two and a half hours long. And Eternals, I thought, was like two hours and ten minutes. And then there's an extra like 20 minutes. And I'm like, wait, this is whole. Whole... Yeah, I had no I... idea it was as long as it was. Yeah, I didn't yeah. get, like, I went to a nine o'clock showing. I didn't get out until after midnight. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. I felt like, it's, it felt like of all the Eternals discourse that's been going on, I feel like it somehow missed the fact, mm. like, no one's talking about the length. Yeah, and we'll definitely get into that. But, that. And, like, um, the James Bond movie also is, like, right. over two and a half hours long. It's just, like, it's like no I one went to a movie for, really for a, like, two years, and so now they're just like, you have to be in the movie. We're never letting you, you leave have to the be in the movie theater. theater for, like, four hours. <laughs> Alex, Alex, that movie did not come out. It's coming out in five years. I'm going to be watching movie? trailers for the, Yeah, I'm going to be watching that trailer forever, Alex. We talked about this. It's, not only is it not only did it come out, it's about to come out on VOD next week, so. So I'm going to start getting trailers for the VOD release. Right. I guess. <laughs> I mean there's no escape. <laughs> I got to say I had having zero previous experience and exposure to Dune prior to sitting down in the theater. I appreciated the fact that I got I got plenty of 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 sense that there was this big mythology in this big world i was being dropped into um but i only got what i needed and i had no and there was and i i never had an issue understanding the gist of the characters and plot in the moment um i have to say though i feel that dune is at its weakest when it's doing the world building exposition dumps this movie is at its at its strongest when it's just vibing and it's just dropping you into this overwhelming sensory experience and the moments where a character is like okay paul Here's how this part of the universe works in this world. I'm like, ah, okay, I guess I need this information, but I think that they did a pretty good job incorporating those things, though. Like a lot of the times, it's just like incidentally happening in the background. Like it's, I still think that like the vibes of this movie is strong enough to overpower any exposition dump, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) I'm just saying those were the like. There was a couple months where I was like, ah, that's. I don't need to rewatch that scene. That's and there's not, also a ton of stuff that he chooses to just not explain at all, which I think is pretty bold. And it really it worked for me. I saw the the David Lynch film last year for the first time. And I definitely think that watching that film uh, helped me navigate through the plot of this one. Um, but I, I'm interested. I feel like most people who haven't read the book or watched the other film uh, 
don't actually come away saying I was confused. I don't really understand what happened. So I think yeah, that it's, it's I think that that's interesting fun. how effective they've been. Although I do want to rewatch it. I'm I'm almost done. I'm I'm reading the books now. I'm almost done with the first book and I'm I'm past where they are in the movie. Um and I, I definitely want to go back and rewatch the film as soon as I can, now that I've got that that literary background in the back of my head. Yeah, I will say I did not a fan of the David Lynch film. It's like it definitely it's something that should be seen because it just is kind of like a, like an odd artifact of a time and a place but it's just it has this very interesting combination of being incredibly bizarre but also very boring and it's just like it's it's almost a magic trick that you're able to maintain those two things throughout the whole film mm. and there is like a certain part in the movie where they're just like oh yeah and then like um like there's just like a cut to like six years later and like they just casually say like oh yeah all of this crazy shit happened while you weren't watching and now we're back so i'm very interested to see yeah. how all of that gets executed in the sequel to this film because it's like oh i would actually like to see some of that stuff because all of that stuff you just casually said in one sentence is pretty fucking insane <laughs> yeah i so i'm i gotta say like seeing the positive reception to this i'm a little more um I'm a little I'm a little more eager to see it now. I like you, Alex, I've had my issues with Villeneuve in the past. I would say he's one of those like current auteurs that I just am not really on board with in general. Um, I do like Arrival, but I haven't really liked any of his other movies. I guess I guess what I, feel, I was what I, I the most positive you, on Blade Runner when we saw that. I'm trying to yeah, remember. I think yeah, so. You, you I think liked you it. Were. Yeah. yeah, and we had a guest on that episode, Sean Fallon, and he really liked it as well. But it was basically like me and Justin versus you and Sean. <laughs> well, I, I, and I think we were all pretty united on Arrival, but that was that was genuinely good. My, my issue with Villeneuve in the past has been I just I find it I find it can sometimes feel like a monotone. <laughs> like he is very good at, at conveying like one tone at a time, but then it kind of to me gets very dull and repetitive. Um, I think he can be very self-serious. You said portentous, Alex. I would agree with that assessment. Uh, Portentous, more like pretentious. There's a lack of humor in his movies, which always like does always just I feel suspicious of. (laughs) So um, with those kind of um, uh, issues I've had within the past, do you think (laughs) it sounds like even with some of those issues that you might have had, Alex, you said you still think that this is, do you think this is something I would enjoy or should I? I I think (laughs) that given the fact that you have similar reservations that I do and it worked as well for me as it did, I I would at least feel optimistic that you would get a lot out of this. Like for me, I feel like this is the, I I know, I think Manish, you liked Blade Runner 2049, correct? Oh yeah, I'm like huge, huge Blade Runner guy. Yeah, and for me, I just really couldn't, get on board with it because it just felt like there was so much angst and pomposity around this like central tension that I just couldn't get on board with. Um, And here I feel like all of the problems with Blade Runner 2049 are solved where it just like he met, he he's treating it in a similar fashion, but the material actually justifies it in a way that really, really works. Whereas in Blade Runner 2049, I just could never really, like, who cares if an android had a baby or whatever? Like, I just couldn't get into it. So yeah. 
So, but here also, it's just Justin. Like, so it's like it, there's this mythic scale that works with the sort of mythic narrative that's on display. Like I think as someone who likes like kind of you know Lord of the Rings and the Arthurian legend and like all of that kind of stuff, I think that that would that is the sort of story that he's telling here. And mm. so for that sort of treatment that he does, it really works. Also, Justin, if all else fails, Oscar Isaac, just just Oscar I mean, Isaac. This is the most attractive cast to ever be assembled, I think. Also- <laughs> <laughs> um, you're referring specifically I, I, I to Stellan Skarsgård as Harkonnen, I'm assuming? Alex is very much including <laughs> Stellan Skarsgård in that list of most attractive cast ever. Never I has mean, a listen, fuck so as, hard. Like, as a sort of, like monstrous like person he has a sort of quality to him i'm not gonna lie like, <laughs> he's very alluring <laughs> yeah like you kind of get drawn in so yes including up, him literally <laughs> <laughs> all right well i will definitely uh yeah i i i want to like it i'm gonna go with it, go in with an open mind so yeah um, i do really think yeah. that it's important to try to see it on like a really good screen and i yeah i'm sad that you weren't able to see it in dolby Atmet atmos because that is such a great i know they sold it as like you should watch it in imax and like if you could actually see it on like a real imax screen maybe but you know there's very it's a lot of like fake imax screens out there nowadays so but i think the dolby cinema uh kind of (laughs) presentation is so excellent and that was i was glad to have watched it that way and i really yeah i think if, if you kind of give yourself over to the grandiosity of it um and just like let yourself be swept away by it because like i'm very easily swept away by stuff like that like that's part of the reason why the self-seriousness of you know his movies and blade runner works for me because like i want to be in that you know sort of like you you call it pomposity alex i think it's a really great word for it actually like i want to be in that space of like this is a movie that is like capital i important and very you know like very heavy, very deep. Um, and whether it earns it or not, that's really not, you know, that's, that'll depend on the person, of course. For me, it does, it, it does earn that. It does feel, um, feel deserved. But I think with Dune, I think it's much more deserved because I think the source material mm-hmm. is just that much, like, it's just that intense. Um, <laughs> so I think this, you know, let it wash over you and be swept away by the scale of it. And I think that, like, you know, if you have a half decent television, I think it'll be fine. You know, um, I, or if you want to go to a theater, go to headphones. The, yeah, are, be... Headphones are so important if you're going to yeah. watch it at home. And captions. <laughs> yes. Well, I I am notorious. I think I may have even said it on this podcast. I watch everything with captions if I can because I swear I'm like losing my hearing or something. <laughs> yeah. And uh, not. I'll I'll probably get into this later, but like there are definitely some points in the internals where I was like what did that person just say? Did that person just say what I think they said? And I learned, <laughs> no, they did not. A lot of jargon. Not foreign words, but just like, you know, made up words. Like yeah. with do, and I was right. like, I didn't, I kept hearing like the Ben and Jerry's as Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I can't, I was like, I can't picture how this word is spelled, so I'm hearing it in as Ben said they're gone jabber. Five five thousand years in the or ten thousand years in the future, Ben and Jerry's has risen to a a, a, a cult of space nuns. I mean, hey, hey, if we're to pick one corporation to turn into a god in the future, let's go Ben and Jerry's. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a also good the story. fact that also the fact that there is someone in this universe of uh, spaceships the size of planets and um, um, space wizards and witches uh, who are not Jedi. Some yet somehow there is someone unironically named Duncan Idaho. Yeah, yes, Duncan Idaho, Jason Idaho. character. He's he's pretty great. He's just Duncan like motherfucking he's, Idaho. Everyone else is giving like you know final year of theater school energy, and Jason Momoa is just giving superstar energy throughout his whole performance, and it's just a really nice contrast. Like, there's a reason why he, everyone comes out saying this is the best performance because he just pops so strongly. On I screen. have to say though, he is noticeably less charismatic. When the beard is gone, it's just—it's an instant minus two in charisma. I can't explain it. But <laughs> spoiler it, it alert, Justin: at some point he shaves his beard. <laughs> oh, I thought you were just talking about like you know when he was like starting out or something, like when he was on Baywatch Hawaii know, or the, whatever. The beard disappears <laughs> halfway through the movie. Gotcha. No reason why it just happens. Well, we have gone very long on Dune. Um, to the point where I'm trying to remember who I've asked about. I don't think I've asked you, Alex, what you've seen. <laughs> you <laughs> haven't. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we can, let's hear from you instead, because I just talked a lot about Dune. So I have another movie that I want to talk about, but I want to okay. hear more about what you've been watching. Yeah, um, so I have something a little bit different. Uh, I haven't been watching as many movies recently um, just because I've been busy with a play that I'm in. Um, yeah. But... I did see a um, a documentary that I wanted to talk about uh, as part of the film club that I'm a part of. Uh, we I saw a film called Assassins. This is not related to the Stephen Sondheim musical <laughs> of the same name. Uh, this is a documentary film from Ryan White, and it's about the assassination of Kim Jong-nam, who was the elder brother of Kim Jong-un. Um, I don't know if you guys heard about this story. It was kind uh, yeah, of in the news for a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. It's I, a wild story. Yes, it is very wild story and very well told um, by the documentarian Ryan White here. Um, I like the way that this sort of... For, so for those who don't know, I should say kind of what happened to give you a rough idea. Um Basically, Kim Jong-nam, who was the elder brother of Kim Jong-un, and at one point was the favored son, a favored son of uh, Kim Jong-il. Uh, so he was sitting in an airport in Kuala Lumpur, and um, these two women basically like came up from behind him and started smearing their hands on his face. And it was learned later that the apparently there was a nerve agent that... Um, basically killed him within i think a few hours and there was this uh, trial that took place that was trying to figure out what the heck happened and implicated these two women uh siti aisha and uh duan thai hong and tried to you know basically the film is about why did this happen like were they innocent or were they guilty was there a greater network um that was behind this and it gets I really like the way this documentary is structured because it starts out and you have all those questions. I think even if you do know the details of this story, the way that it's actually told here, I think puts you in the, in the experience of someone of like a journalist who's uncovering this very slowly and unspooling more and more details about it. Um, because on its face, you hear this 
story and you're like what like what the heck happened why is this like why was this the method um and it just like kind of just tells you the facts about what happened and gets into um especially the correspondences between these two women and um this other party who basically had told them that they were participating in these like elaborate prank videos uh and the whole idea was that they were gonna like they were told that they were gonna like smear smear uh like hand lotion on his face and was gonna be and and also they told them that he was actually this actor and there's all this they have all this evidence of all this correspondence between these women and the person who was setting this up uh who eventually find has ties to um north korean agents who were actually in malaysia at the time and then were basically released uh by the malaysian government at a certain point um and it basically becomes a case where these two women who seem to be uh unwitting assassins essentially um are essentially the ones who are meant to take the blame we learned that malaysia actually has diplomatic relations with north korea which i did not know about i knew very little about malaysia or its politics or the fact that it has a state-run media i definitely didn't know that i definitely assumed different things about that country which certainly uh certainly illuminated some of my ignorance about this part of the country um and it just kind of very slowly you start you you think how could this how could these people possibly be innocent and the more and more details it reveals you kind of recognize that that's actually part of the point the way this plot was constructed was to create that initial confusion and doubt and skepticism about how anything could be anything larger could be a part of this. And you see how these, you know, bad actors you know, just to say, you know, to put it mildly, um, that's how they're able to protect themselves. They use hmm. these kind of like convoluted plots and and end up shifting the blame because they have the power onto these unwitting pawns. And um this this film gets a lot of access not only to um the people who were directly involved, but also to the journalists who were covering, including one uh, one journalist in Malaysia. And you just see his kind of arc over the course of this and the way his initial conceptions of the case and then his gradual realization of what actually happened based on the evidence. And this is definitely put in contrast with the way the actual um, law enforcement of the country approaches it. How um, where is this movie available, Justin? Uh, I believe it's on Netflix right now. That's where I watched it. Ooh. Wait, yeah. what's the title again? It's uh, just called Assassins. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't. I couldn't seem to find a subtitle. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it is. Uh, but yeah, do not confuse it <laughs> with Sondheim. Very different. <laughs> Assassins um, get dead. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it is a crazy <laughs> story, um, and yet it all kind of makes a weird amount of sense by the end. Um, mm. So I, yeah, I have a lot of respect for this. And I, I think even if, whether you know about the story or you don't, I still think it's an interesting film to watch. Yeah. I've heard really good things about it um, since it debuted at Sundance like a year, almost two years ago now. Um, but I haven't gotten a chance to catch up with it. Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it's worth it. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was something I don't think I would have watched without, being part of a like documentary series that the film club was watching. I see a decent amount of documentaries every year, but this was one that I definitely missed and I'm, I'm glad that I caught up with it.
Yeah, but, you know uh, that's always a blind spot for me. Yeah. I always have a list of, like, 20 documentaries, and I'm like, I'll watch those, and then I never do. Then, <laughs> then there's another year and another list of 20 documentaries. <laughs> <laughs> but you at least, like, are able to cut yourself off, whereas, like, I, at le- I tend to just, like, all right, I'll see this even if it takes, you know, until two years from now. <laughs> so <laughs> you have a little more self-control. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but what's uh, what have you been watching, Alex, apart from apart from Dune, of course? Well, speaking of people who may or may not have self-control, um, I watched the latest Wes Anderson film uh, this past <laughs> ah, yes. week. And uh, guys, it was great. I, people online like there's this whole contention of people who are like this movie is trash or like it's problematic or whatever. I don't really get it. I don't really get the criticism. People seem to be mad that Wes Anderson made a Wes Anderson movie. And I mean, I like Wes Anderson movies, so I really enjoyed it. Um, it was, I thought but it was do really you want fun. My money or not? <laughs> it's just, it's it certainly, I don't think that it like rises to the level of um, his best films uh, because there is sort of, um, uh, by the way, I don't think I said the name of the movie. It's the French dispatch. Uh, it's the latest. So you know you did, you did. Okay, uh, it's got it's got like an incredible cast. It's basically three, uh, like isn't three it and like, a half. Isn't it everyone who's ever been in his movies? Basically? And a lot of people who haven't been in his movies as well. Like, um, mm. yeah, it's it's like Jeffrey Wright gives a really great performance um, in it um, as like a James Baldwin esque character. Basically, the premise mm. is like, what if you went back to the '60s and turned an um, like an issue of The New Yorker into a movie um into an anthology film that's basically the premise uh it's not specifically the new yorker it's kind of this uh it's it's an it's a loose approximation of what the new yorker used to be like it's set in um in a fictional french city called ennui um as you might imagine (laughs) uh and but it's but that's basically that sounds like a subtle dig at the french I, I think it's a it's a loving jab, if anything. Um, but as as many, many things in this film are, uh, I really, really enjoyed it. At a certain point in time, we were going to talk about it in depth. And I'm a little sad that we weren't able to get that together because I really think that there would have been a lot to talk about. Um, yeah, the release over here in the movie was very screwy. Um, I do. I will see it at some point. I just don't know when. No, I really think that you would like it. I, Justin, I, I know that you're planning on seeing it. I think you would really enjoy yeah. it. Uh, Manish, have you seen this? Uh, unfortunately, not yet. I am looking forward to it. Um, I, I'm i kind of, you know, uh, lukewarm on Wes Anderson in the sense that, like, I like a lot of his movies, but I'm not sure that I would count him among a favorite. Um, but, because, uh, like, the ones that I like are kind of the more... I don't know, mainstream ones or like the ones that everyone likes, you know, Moonrise Kingdom. Wait, which which Grand... ones are those? Just out of curiosity. Which, which yeah, I mean, I, I just felt like Moonrise Kingdom, Grand Buddhist Hotel, those feel like, yes. posters, you know, I guess or those are like, um, whereas I feel like something along the lines of like Life Aquatic, I haven't seen that. I don't really have any desire, mm-hmm. you know, like the deep cuts I haven't seen, but, uh, but the movies of his, I just don't, I just like dislike on a fundamental level. Like I love like? dogs, Darjeeling. I love dogs and uh, Darjeeling Limited. I mm. just, I just can't. I just cannot deal with those movies. Um, <laughs> Fantastic Mr. Fox. I love that movie. I mean, that's that's another one that feels like more. It's like more general. Like you know, like I like the ones that everyone likes. You know. <laughs> Have you seen the Royal Tenenbaums? That's my Not favorite. Yes, unfortunately. 
I think um, you would like that for yeah, the Gwyneth it of it. Like, it feels like a movie I, I, I would like. Yeah, I, I, like for the Gwyneth of it alone. I, I think you would. Oh, yeah, so I, I, I love Gwyneth Paltrow. <laughs> and it's I she's doing so much, and it's so great yeah. in that movie. But anyway, yeah. so I, I mostly agree with the your rankings I, of his films, basically. Uh, there's no movie of his that I've watched, and I haven't seen Darjeeling Unlimited because or Limited because uh, I've heard really bad things about it. That's the only one of his that I haven't seen. It's um, the only the one of his that, that I've seen that I've disliked. Um, yeah, and that's, so. that's not a surprise for yeah. me to hear. Um, but all the other movies that he's made, I've at least liked. Um, some of them I've liked less than others, but I'm always surprised by how, like, when I, I don't think of him as a person that is, like, one of my favorite filmmakers, but when I sit down and I look at all of his films, like, he hasn't made a ton, and I've liked a lot of his movies uh, to a significant amount, so I guess maybe he kind of is by default, but... In any case, I think this is this doesn't rise to the level of a film like The Royal Tannenbaums or Moonrise Kingdom or Fantastic Mr. Fox because there's not like a really strong emotional hook to the film. But it's a very, very funny movie. I was, you know, I saw it in theaters and several times people like the person sitting like uh, halfway down the uh, row from me just like turned and looked when I was laughing because like no one else in the theater was laughing but I was laughing because <laughs> <laughs> it's very funny but it's just a very idiosyncratic sort of humor and I don't know it really jived with me so yeah just I think that, it's really great I can just talk that's reminding me of when we saw we saw Cabin in the Woods and the people in front of us did not get why we were laughing so hard <laughs> Yes. I yeah, I can understand man. that from that movie. Like, but what I, the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> but it just, like, I could talk at length about all of the different segments in the film. I think that there's a lot of really smart um, commentary and a lot of really fun humor and really delightful performances um, throughout. Um, like, Francis McDormand is so good. Uh, Tilda Swinton is just absolutely excellent um, in a really great Goal. Um, just Benicio del Toro is is doing the most, but in a way that's really um, well the utilized. Del Toro. Stephen Stephen Park is really good in a very unusual story that you really don't really know where it's going to go, and it really goes in a lot of different places. But he's really good in it. Um, so yeah, and and Jeffrey Wright, I think, is probably giving the best performance um, in the whole film. So mm. I, I really really enjoy it. It's really great. Um, definitely everyone should check it out. If you don't like Wes Anderson at all, um, you're not going to like this at all. <laughs> but if you've liked any Wes Anderson movie, even a little bit, I think you should definitely give it a chance because it's really fun and it's really funny. And it just like, it's really experimental. It tries, it has so many different types of style in it. There's black and white, there's color, there's, they bounce back and forth between the two even inside of segments. There's like uh, action sequences that are fully animated. It just like really is a lot of fun. And and yeah, I I had a blast. I would love to rewatch it. All right. Yeah. Well, now I've that been... we have just now that we have dispatched with the French. <laughs> Sorry, I had to make that joke. <laughs> you had yeah, to. <laughs> I've been catching up with um, some of the Wes Anderson movies that I had not seen, uh, which has been a real treat for the most part, um, because like some of those early movies, I mean, you know, I always heard how great Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaums were. And then to actually see them was like, you know, another kind of treasure. Um, and I actually like, I'm surprised that I did like life aquatic as much as I did. I don't think it's one of his better ones, but even that had some moments of just of, of greatness. I think, um, 
but you know, Darjeeling Limited, not as much. Um, that one is really the one where I was like, oh, I could understand why there was a lot of like backlash at, the, at this time in his career. But then he made Fantastic Mr. Fox right after, which I just rewatched and liked it so much more than I did the first time. So it's been really cool to. to I'm probably going to revisit some of his other movies I I that I have seen. Um, but uh, I don't know if I'll do that before I see this one because I really want to see this one before it leaves theaters. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would say he's like one of my favorite filmmakers, but there are films of his where I'd be like, I could see this possibly being like one of my, you know, one of my favorites in general. Um, I think when he's at his best, he's, you know, about as good as any other filmmaker, but in his own unique way. Um, and, uh, it's been really, it's been really satisfying to finally catch up with his, with his earlier work. Yeah. And it's been fun to watch you watch it over on Letterboxd. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, uh, we've gone a little bit long on this, but that's okay. Uh, we have quite a bit of time, I still think, to discuss Eternals, which of course... You have an eternal amount of film. time, Justin. Oh, yes. As we, as we stated at the beginning of this. Um, this is from Chloe Zhao, who of course did uh, a film that we all loved on this podcast. Fresh I think I off crushing the Oscars, uh, *Nomadland*, where of course she was uh, won mm. not only Best Picture but also Best Director. Um, and this is a film that I think was, at least by us, was highly anticipated. Um, oh, definitely. And yeah. has I would say garnered a mixed re- response uh, at best. Uh, there's been I've seen a lot of positives. I've seen a lot of negatives, uh, but I'm curious where you guys fall on this. So um, um, I think I'll start Manish with with you. How did you feel about this movie? Um, I, I I quite enjoyed it. Um, I think going into the movie thinking that I, I think it helped going into it being like, OK, people don't seem to like this movie. So um, I was kind of like expecting it to be like totally incompetent or something like I just. I didn't know what to expect. Um, I was excited for the movie. I had been excited for it since, you know, since it got announced. Because um, I like pretty much everyone in the cast, at least the ones that I, you know, I'd seen before. Um, and Chloe Zhao, of course, you know, I, I think she's phenomenal. Um, and so I was excited to see it, but kind of like, okay, maybe this is just like, you know, it's just maybe it's just, you know, I, Marvel, I think, was kind of due for a, you know, a big kind of misfire. Uh, we haven't really had one, in my opinion, for a long time. So I was kind of like expecting it to kind of just be kind of that. But I think that it's, um, I, I guess I, I had those kind of lowered expectations for it. Um, mm-hmm. And I was just excited because, you know, Kumail Nanjiani is the first South Asian Marvel superhero on screen. So I'm like, how could I not be excited for that? Like, that's something I've never seen before. I was actually going through the list of like South Asian actors and superhero movies, and it's a a short list and b quite embarrassing. I'm sure I'm missing people, but like I thought of well, there's um, you know Cal Penn in Superman Returns who has like no lines. I think he's a scientist. You know, oh, got I completely forgot he was in yeah, the movie. Got in Sony's the Uber driver in the Deadpool movies. Um, Oh, yeah, that's not great representation. um, Ben Kingsley, (laughs) the Iron Man 3, and in um, Shang-Chi. You know, Mm -hmm. like, he's not a superhero. He's just kind of like a drunk buffoon type character. So I'm like, (laughs) you know, of those three that I thought could think of, I'm sure there are other side characters. I think um, 
It's in Asif Madvi in Spider-Man, I think. He, or, well, yes. he plays, like, the bank manager, right? Isn't yeah. that his role? Something, something like oh. that. Wait, I, I thought he was the, wasn't he the pizza place manager? The pizza oh, manager? yeah, yeah, you're right. No, Joel way, McHale was the <laughs> bank manager, I think. Yeah. So, no, not a, saw, very much not a superhero. <laughs> yeah, so I was just like, I, I was like, you know, I know that, like, it's kind of basic to be just excited about that kind of representation. I know that's been a lot of the conversation around this movie. It's like, you know, do we have to like something just because it has a lot of, you know, representation in it? Um, but I, I also think that that discussion kind of misses the point of why this representation matters, because it's like, yeah, it means something because it's the first, and it means something. And I'm not saying you have to like the movie, but appreciate that, like, this is meaningful to a lot of people, myself included. Um, but having said mm-hmm. that, I, I do think the movie is a little messy. It's a little weird. Um, weird, I think, in a good way. Messy in, in a way that's good and bad. Um, I think that it's, as as I said earlier, I do kind of like pomposity and grandiosity. So like, I love that this is kind of this like weird, mythological, you know, super serious kind of like sad movie about like Greek gods or whatever that's like o- almost three hours long. Like I was like, okay, I'm into that. Like, um, <laughs> I definitely have no qualms about length. I mean, I never, I never have any problems with length, long movies. I like, I love long movies. I grew up on Bollywood movies. They're three hours is nothing. <laughs> um, so like, yeah, I, I, I never want to be like, oh, this should have been an hour and a half or whatever. I, whatever. I think we should be longer. Like, what else are we doing with our lives? Um, so I, I, I appreciated that, and I love Gemma Chan in the lead role. I didn't really expect her to be like the lead. I thought, you know, I knew she was top billed, but. I guess I, for some reason I thought that like it would be more of a two-hander between her and, and Richard Madden, um, mm. but I love that she was the the lead of the movie. So all in all, I'm I'm more positive on it I guess than I am negative because I'm like you know this is like kind of a, a weird movie from the MCU. I didn't really see it as like just another boilerplate MCU movie. I know that's also some people have said about the movie, and mm. maybe you guys mm. disagree. I'd, I'd be curious to hear that opinion. Uh, but I felt this. I felt like even the attempts at humor seemed a little bit more, um, not forced, but I could tell that like Chloe Zhao probably wanted to make a movie without a lot of jokes. And I, I think that she achieved that you know, 80% of the time. Seeing the movie yesterday, I was kind of like watching and being like, hey, this is like pretty good. Like, what is like, what did people have a problem with? Like, I was surprised, I think just. I thought I was going to have more of a mixed reaction to this, and I felt like I was more positive, but maybe with some qualifications. Um, it was definitely a case where I really appreciated so much of what the film was doing. I liked that. I would say, to me, it felt like it had a different feel from other Marvel films. It didn't feel... I agree with you, Manish. I don't think it felt as jokey, but you know, maybe, maybe with you know, Kumail, um, <laughs> there's definitely a lot of those moments, but, uh, they tend to work. So I feel like Kumail Nanjiani is like one of the funniest people on the planet. So, you know, I didn't really mind that. Um, and I guess like, I liked this. I like that there was like this kind of question about what, what they were doing, whether it was right. And I like how personal their, their mission is right. They've come to love this world. And I also just liked, you know, 
in this universe that they've established, like the great the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, where superheroes exist, wizards exist, aliens exist, right? All that stuff exists. Like this is maybe doesn't feel as weird because it's kind of like, oh yeah, like there'd be that kind of stuff too. Why not? And I like that they don't have to necessarily hide their identities. Like there's actually a big chunk of this movie uh, where they sort of embrace that. And, you know, uh, again, going back to Kumail, like with his character, Kingo, like he's embraced that as part of his Bollywood persona. Um, and his assistant, played by Harish Patel, who I feel like won my audience award every time he was on screen. Um, <laughs> you yeah. know, he like knows all about his story and is, you know, and it's, and I like also that he's kind of like our, 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 our like our kind of human conduit. Like he's like the one human being who's, who has a window into this world. Um, and I like that all that stuff, um, I like that all that stuff exists because it feels very different from this kind of story when it's been told before. Like there's not the hiding of the identities. Um, and yet there's also this bigger question of like what they're doing, whether that's the right thing. And there's a little bit of mystery, I think at the end of this movie about whether they did the right thing and what the greater purpose of um, their, uh, their master Arisham uh, is, you know, what his bigger plans are. Um, and I, I guess I just I appreciated. I appreciate what the movie was doing, even when there are points where I felt like I was kind of asking, like kind of scratching my head, being like, why did Arashem allow this? Like, why is this thing allowed to happen? But I think you can get past that. Like, there's a lot of like there's a lot of really good acting. There's a lot of really good um, set pieces, I think, especially and, and just really wonderful locations um i think you know that's one of the things that Zhao is really good at as a director is, is mm. finding these wonderful locations then finding how to film them in a way that optimizes their impact um and we get lots of really cool places to visit here from the you know south dakota which looks like something from <laughs> from the rider um you know her earlier film uh to that you know to that location like where the where the emergence happens which seems like i think is maybe in the south pacific uh, that's the implication it's textually in the south pacific yeah, yeah. i don't know okay. where they mm. actually shot it but right right um but yeah i guess but it is a real so, beach that they shot <laughs> yeah and it looks like it so it just i i appreciated that and i just think overall there was a lot more working here for me than wasn't and in spite of its length, like I was surprised how much I just enjoyed being with these people. Um, but uh, yeah, so I, I would say I'm definitely more positive on this one. But what did you what did you uh, think, Alex? Yeah, I so for me, I think it's it, the whole conversation on this movie is somewhat odd because it's everyone is watching it, sitting down to see it or not everyone, but many people are watching it and going in seeing that it is considered the lowest rated, the worst reviewed film in the Marvel cinematic universe, according to, uh, according to Rotten Tomato anyway. And I just think that that is such an odd, uh, stamp for this movie to get, because it is nowhere near the worst Marvel film that's been released in the last two decades, like not even close. Um, I understand why some film critics have a, have an issue with it. I didn't like it quite as much as, as I know Manish did, um, but I did really respect all of the things that didn't work about the movie also. Like, I, I think that it makes a lot of interesting choices, uh, and it tries to do 
probably a little bit too much. And as a result, not all of the pieces come together for me as, as much as I would like them to. But I really, really um, applaud the ambition of it. And I just think that they just tried to cram too much story into one film, unfortunately. Um, and, and I, and I do think that some of the tone is not always consistent. Like, I agree that the Kubel Nanjiani stuff is funny. It just feels like it's in an, from an entirely different movie than a lot of what else is happening on screen. And that was a little bit distracting for me, like, especially when he's like walking around, like filming a documentary or whatever, like that just, it that just felt like an area where it's like, yeah, we want to try to, it's, we're like an hour and a half into this movie. Let's lighten things up a bit for a while before it gets heavy again. It's like, that's fine. But it just felt very unnatural um, to the tone that uh, Zhao was, was cultivating for the most part. But one thing that I was struck by when I was watching it, um, I remember when this was first announced, before we knew anything about the film, other than the title, uh, the director, and then it was going to center on Cersei uh, specifically, um, was that Chloe Zhao was talking about it as this love story that was going to be told across time and space, right? That was her pitch for the movie and it was like oh that's and everybody at the time was like oh that's interesting because like Eternals is like this big ensemble so it's like interesting that there's she's saying that it's going to be that and then I feel like the marketing never really sold that at all it was all about like how it could connect to Endgame which I get because a billion people saw Endgame so sure right. um but when I watched the movie I was suddenly reminded of those like quotes from Chloe Zhao from like three years ago it's like oh <laughs> right that's what this movie was supposed to be about and I think if that's what this movie is about, it more or less succeeds. I think that her relationship with Richard Madden's Icarus is very compelling. I think that her relationship with Dane Whitman, played by uh, Kit Harrington, is significantly less compelling. Um, but not really. It's for not given much fault. of a chance it's to just, be compelling either way. It's just it's plopped well, into the exactly. beginning. Well, exactly. It, it, they just they just kind of like <laughs> my, my feeling on this movie is, and I think a lot of people disagree, but. This movie would be much better off if there was no regular humans in the film, I think. Like, I think that we can trust that these people who have Mm. existed for literally thousands of years have developed relationships with people and that has impacted them. um, And also that they've seen on a wide scale what people have done. And so that and this is their home now. And so they're invested in in protecting the planet. And I don't think we need to shoehorn in these these normal people quote-unquote characters to like get the audience to be like yeah that would be what we were like like cool so like if i was in this movie i would be kid harrington who would who was on the phone a couple of times in three hours and that was it it's like yeah i already knew that i didn't need kid harrington to be on screen to remind me of, of what my role in all of this would be um i'm like kind of of the opinion that like in these big mythic superhero stories just let superheroes be superheroes like it's kind of like on succession the hbo drama where it's like it's about these like incredibly powerful influential people like they don't try to insert average normal people into the narrative to be like and this is what real people are like in this world it's like no one cares like that's not what we're doing here right (laughs) we're like we're not talking about normal people there's a whole other story you could watch if you want to know about normal people but so that's that's my thing i wish we kind of like trimmed off some of those characters mm-hmm. and gave more time to the titular Eternals to let their relationships develop. Because I think every single person on this ensemble of superhero androids from space, um, spoiler alert, uh, 
are doing a really great job. I think that like Selma Hayek is really interesting. She's giving a performance mm-hmm. that I would not have necessarily expected as this leader of the of the group. It's it's very kind of um, maternal in a way that I think is very interesting. Um, there's, you know, I think that Leah McHugh as Sprite is someone that I haven't really seen before. I think she has, her and Gemma Chan have this really great, uh, sisterly dynamic that really works for me. I think that Lauren Ridloff is excellent and very limited in her, limitedly used. And that I think is a problem because I think she's so good. And I think you could have gotten so much more out of that character. And I think that her connection with Barry Keat. Uh, Keegan's character, Druig, is really interesting. This is probably the most I've ever enjoyed Barry Keegan in a movie. Um, he's like very charismatic and and compelling here in a way that he's usually a little bit off-putting. Um, and so I think that I would have liked to see a little bit more of that. I think Bri- Brian Terry Henry is so great as this as, in this role, like not at all what you would have expected for the kind of like techie sort of. Uh, god right but he brings so much uh grounded humanity to every role that he does and it really really works in this film um and i just would have liked more time with all of that stuff but you don't really get a chance to because you know you gotta kind of put in some of these jokes uh in these scenes to live to liven it up you have to kind of awkwardly insert flashbacks in order to have more action sequences because this there's not enough action in the main plot of the film there's really just three set pieces the one that introduces the plot the one that shifts the plot uh into the third act and then the final third act plot um and it's a very long film so they need to find ways to kind of bring in a little bit more action so they do it through flashback which i think is an interesting idea but ultimately kind of it it breaks up what i think could have worked for if you just gave these people in the present tense more time to exist. So I think that's my biggest mm-hmm. criticism. <clears throat> oh, and also that um, I think that the way Angelina Jolie is used in this movie is completely confounding, and I don't really <laughs> get what's happening. <laughs> like, I it's just like, oh, it's Angelina Jolie, one of the most famous people on the planet, one of the biggest movie stars ever, and she's just like mostly just standing in the background looking confused. I, I really don't get that choice at all. I, I think her character was was meant to be, you know, you're dealing with the Eternals version of, of PTSD and mental illness. Um, <clears throat> and being sort of an extreme example of what the, the the weight of all this time of their existence can can do to them mentally. Yeah, well, that's textually what is happening. But I mean, what it actually translates like why, to the screen. Why bring in... Angelina Jolie, who's one of the most like commanding and you know radiant actresses of the modern era, and just have her be in that role—is that kind of the question? Yeah, yeah, basically. I like, agree. She has, it's definitely yeah, strange, and I was. And if you're going, like, if you're going to use her that way, then like make it be a larger part of the film. Right. I, I'm not saying like don't let Gemma Chan be the star. I love that she's the star, and I think her character is is very well positioned to be the center of the film, the film, but like give, if you're going to make Angelina Jolie have basically like a, some, like a sci-fi version of dementia and in this kind of like doomed love story with Don Lee, just like give that actual attention or don't do it. Like, you know what I mean? I, yeah, I, sorry, I don't mean to uh, jump in there, but I definitely do agree with you actually on that because um, at first I thought that, 
Oh, I knew that Salma Hayek was sort of the leader of the of the group, um, but I also thought that like Angelina Jolie was sort of a second in command, or something. Like, I thought mm. she would be more of like a leadership role, um, and it's definitely a little strange. I, I agree with you, and I think that's one of the things that like this movie is very messy because it's, it's as you're saying, it's like overly ambitious. Um, and it has a lot going on, but in a way that it's like you know, few Marvel movies actually are this ambitious, you know. Um, and so I'm kind of like, well, it's kind of cool that they tried this like whole arc, even if it didn't quite work. Um, I I kind of wish that like the time given to Thena, or the time given to Sprite and her sort of adolescent angst, whatever, which I just did not care about at all. Um, I wish that was given to Angelina Jolie because. You know, she's Angelina Jolie, like she's an Oscar winner. Like, I want to see her front and center of this movie. Um, and like, even if she and Salma Hayek had switched roles, that might have been interesting too. Because like, um, I mean, I'm glad that I'm glad that Salma Hayek got to be in that role because it's kind of a different performance than we're used to seeing from her. Because she's always mm-hmm. kind of playing like, I mean, yeah, she's usually she's cast as like some kind of you know. Uh, seductive or sexy figure some kind of it's kind of foolish she's in this like maternal like <clears throat> goddess leader lady um but yeah i think that like i agree with you 100 that it was kind of a, a strange use of Andrew and jolie um but i also think that she gave it her all i thought she was i thought she was great but i agree that it's just kind of like i don't yeah it was just it was, it was strange that's all i, I can really say <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think she's just let down by the script in a number yeah. of places, yeah. like where it's just like, and you really have to do. She's asked to do so much work in regards to, like her connection with the Gilgamesh character played by Don Lee, like where it, it you're supposed to feel like they have this incredibly strong bond where like he won't leave her behind and like they're they're really committed to each other, whether it's romantic or or fraternal. Like it's it's just an incredibly powerful connection that they have but you never really get to see that because you only ever see them when she's not at like they only tap into that connection when she's not herself and so you really don't get a sense of what she's like when she is herself with him which makes it hard to then invest from his perspective also like why are you why do you of all of these people care so much about her when you're not actually getting to see what she's like with him when she's not struggling with her mental state so I, I just think that you just needed to, this is, it's a very complicated idea and it's a lot to, to just kind of insert casually into the background of scenes. Like so often she's just standing around and at one point, like there's this whole big scene happening in the ship and all of the Eternals, but her are there. And I'm just like, wait, but where is Angelina Julie? Did she just like not want to show up to set that day? And then she just, after everything <laughs> happened, she just walks in like, Hey, what's going on? I'm just like, what do you like? It's Angelina Jolie. Like, how is she not a part of this main conflict right now? Like, what is happening? And if she wasn't Angelina Jolie, I think it would maybe be less distracting in that regards, right? Like, if it wasn't such a megawatt star, you wouldn't be kind of wondering where she is and why she's not getting more to do. At least that's my experience of it. No, I, I agree with that. Yeah, I think I think it's a case where it's... Um, I think I, I might have, like, I have a lot of respect for what the film is doing conceptually. I think because it is trying to do so much, it's trying to attack all these plot lines and it ends up, I think a lot of them end up feeling like less satisfying than they could be. And I wonder if there's a version of this story where we had just have 
fewer characters and maybe more development of their particular arcs. Like, I just, yeah. So I, I think that might be like, that's maybe my biggest issue with this film is that I do find a lot of the, um, I find some of the relationships and some of the issues maybe a little undercooked. Um, I think maybe some of them hit a little, you know, a little harder than others. And I think maybe a large part of that is due to the performances. But yeah, I, I can see what you're saying, especially with the, with the Athena. You know, you were saying like, well, you know, what is she when she's not dealing with the mad, weird, mad, weird, what, how mad is that? Weary. Mad weary. Yeah, it's okay. That is, I know when I heard that the first time, I'm like, why is everyone talking about being mad weary? What's going on? Um, it's so, a mad tired dog. Well, like, it's who, apparently who, spelt in a very cosmic way. In the yes, comics, I looked it up later because I'm like, I have to see what the hell this is because you're just hearing <laughs> it pronounced on screen. Um, but like, it's basically like the film tries to make it like, well, she's like a great warrior and everything. And you're like, okay, but is that a character trait? Like, that's just <laughs> kind of what she does. But sorry, yeah, go. Yeah, no, I, the other thing that I'd say is like, this is kind of tied to the problem with the Julie character is that they kind of they have this secondary villain who you initially think is the he's sort of the inciting incident and then becomes less and less important as the film goes on, played by Bill Skarsgård, who I did not realize was Bill Skarsgård until the end of the film. I was like, yeah. wait, Bill Skarsgård was Wait, in this? Oh, yeah. yeah, he he plays the deviant that talks the like the, oh, the one yeah. that involves no, that's... Pro, I think is the name. <laughs> Yeah, I think that, that I I think that thing is my biggest issue with the film. It's 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 it just, built it up. Feels it feels like it feels like it's left over from an older draft of the film. It feels like it's like okay, there. Yeah. At some point, these characters were a more important part of the of the narrative, but when they, but it just is hard to. But what they really are are this sort of plot by the Richard Madden character to distract the Eternals, right? So they are, by definition, inconsequential to the actual story. So I feel like you needed to <laughs> well, kind I, of I don't think dispatch them earlier. He's built up as, like, because he, he gets, like, Ajax healing ability, he's, like, nearly indestructible. But you just had to cut him enough times, apparently, and, and that was it. I wouldn't say that he's inconsequential. Um, I think that in some ways it's... Well, to me, it felt like another sort of example of how Ersham has been manipulating, Ersham and also Icarus has been manipulating the Eternals into following this agenda that is actually more destructive um, than uh, than necessary or, you know, because I, I think a lot of the a lot of the sort of emotional tension for this movie is about this idea that the Eternals have this power to you know, help and save humankind, um, but they've been instructed not to interfere, right? Like, that's the whole, that's Jurig's whole thing, is that he's not allowed to interfere, and so all this destruction gets caused, and, like, that's, you know, that's a lot of this guilt that they feel is from that, and I think that the deviants, in some ways, I wouldn't say they're inconsequential, I'd say they're more of a kind of red flag, because you think this movie's going to be about, like, okay, they have to find the deviants and, and stop them from taking over the planet or whatever. But then the movie kind of puts itself on its head and, and or turns itself on its head and becomes about like, you know, are they just blindly following these orders and, and they've been manipulated and they, and all this, um, all this like guilt that they feel and all this like aggression, they all this like the idea that they have to fight 
these deviants. That's something that's been fabricated. And Krill, I think even when he when he's able to speak, he says that like, you know, you guys are murderers. Um, and uh, so I think that you know, sure, you know, I think there's a version of this movie, I guess, where they're the main villains and you have to fight them. But even I'm thinking, you know, in the beginning opening sequence when they're fighting the deviants in Mesopotamia. Um, not a sentence that I ever thought I would say in, in my <laughs> life. Um, but even I, I kind of had this thing of like, are these creatures even really evil? Or are they just kind of like creatures that came to, you know what I mean? Like, um, so I, I think that it's, it's fair that the deviants don't really have much of a role in the second half of the movie. But I also think that it's partially because of the way that, um, the way that Icarus and Arishim have pit these two, like these two children of Arishim, that's what um, uh, someone calls them that, I forgot who it was but like these two factions that Arishim created are pit against each other in order as a distraction for this re-emergence that's going to be happening and that's going to destroy planets. Does that does that make sense? Yeah, I think, I think that everything you're saying is correct. I think my issue is that then when you get to the third act of the film, like they still like the motivation for the crow character by bill skarsgård just feels like it is stuck in the second act of the film where it's like we've now progressed and he still just wants to kill all the eternals like you're kind of setting up for this sort of where like now that he understands what what's going on because he's gained more sentience that maybe he's going to turn against icarus and like team up with the eternals or maybe he's going to in a more like in a more sophisticated way like try to defend the planet and condemn the eternals but he just still seems to be motivated by revenge purely and he just wants to murder them and is not taking into account anything that's actually happening in front of him and and then it just becomes this weird kind of side plot for angelina jolie to like show that she can conquer her mad weary which has nothing to do with really what was happening with the crow character up until that point so it just really feels by the end, when I say it, it's inconsequential, it just by the end of the story, the way it gets resolved, it makes it feel inconsequential. You know, yeah, I, I think agree. that you could either yeah. either let the character advance into the third act with the rest of the characters in some fashion, or have that storyline end by the sec by the end of the second act of the film, and then we really focus on the internal dynamics between the the Eternals at that point. Like I think that's kind of my big note in that. In that, that, that would almost be a better result for that character. Like him being defeated could be like a red herring end to the second act. And then it's like, oh, wait, no, that wasn't the real problem. The real problem is, you know, our issues with each other and with their mission. Because, but you know, by the end, the idea of the Eternals themselves being in conflict and disagreement over their role, that's way more interesting and compelling than yeah, and it could a deviant out for revenge. More, it's just not, it, I don't it, care about it at that point. And he pops up again and like, Okay, he's gonna die. The only question is how. <laughs> and I think that if they like, if they killed the Bill Skarsgård character at a moment when he reveals to say the Gemma Chan character that actually, like this fight has all been a lie between the two species, right? Like if he dies in that moment, then that kind of allows that the third arc, the third act, like uh, conflict to have a more heightened state where like now like really 
everything that they knew about their whole purpose was a lie and they're actually they're actually morally culpable in a really severe way and that can kind of motivate them to overcorrect and try to prevent the explosion of the planet or whatever they're trying to correct you know what i mean like i I hate to like Mm. rewrite a story because obviously that's not a good form of criticism but it's just all of the pieces to this movie really feel like they should come together well and there's just certain things that kind of hold it back from doing so and so i'm just kind of like trying to figure out how you could reassemble the pieces to make it work a little bit better yeah yeah and i guess my question is would it have made more sense to the story if say crow had revealed that than arisham to cersei like what is Maybe that's one of my you know, bigger questions about this. Movie that might have is, felt more organic. Why? Because the so, Arsham, the Ar, the Arsham info dump is very, very info dumpy. <laughs> I mean, so so here's my big question: is why reveal the details about the emergence if these if the Eternals are designed to destroy the Deviants? Wouldn't it make sense for them to just destroy the Deviants and then take them well, away, and then he wipes their well, memories? We, afterward anyway right what we know is that arisham always has the leader of the eternals be aware of the larger plot and so right ajax was and icarus only was but, because ajax told him as a way to kind of motivate him to to be in, engage in a relationship with the cersei character instead of holding back because sure. even though there are these eternal beings like she wanted him to know that their time is finite and so he should kind of make the most of it with her so that's why he knows Mm -hmm. but otherwise no one else knows so i think the idea is that like now that cersei is the leader he tells her this information and we at least know based on the sort of opening scroll which i was i literally like went wow like in the audience that they (laughs) did an opening scroll so i don't know if they would go there for that Yeah, I was like, this is this is some nerd ass shit. I'm so excited. Um, but, but like, I think that like based on that, like there's never been this sort of like rebellion against him by his Eternals. Right. These are his creations that he's created specifically to obey him, basically. So I think that it's easy for us to look at it from her perspective and be like, well, why would he even tell her that? We know what she's going to do with that information. But from his perspective, I don't think he's even considering that she would betray him because he literally built her not to, you know, and it's happened thousands of times before and it never, and it's never occurred. You know, there's never been this fight. So then you have to, okay. So then it's almost like this version of this, this time is different than all the other times. Right. Which is, which is what that opening scroll says. It says, this is, it literally says that. I think, well, I think the difference is that this is earth. So if you don't know those other planets, but I think the implication is that like, Earth is worth saving because of, you know, I guess how great people are, which I have, I don't know but, if I agree with that. I mean, right. well, like, Earth is a, worth saving because we've established the, there's multiple alien worlds, like, yeah, that Earth, is intelligent life. Earth is <laughs> the planet worth saving because it's on this planet that people conceived this concept and made this movie and are trying right. to make money right. out of it. Well, Therefore, I mean, the argument that it would actually, makes... It would be great, now that I think about it, it would be great for a franchise to come and be like, fuck Earth. Earth is destroyed. Humans are dead. Uh, all of the movies in the franchise are going to be centered around the race of, I don't know, Maragems on the planet Zintash or whatever. <laughs> and humans you don't have fun exist. Writing that. <laughs> I mean, isn't that like, have my not, purpose? I mean, they're not like the, Earthlings on Dune, are they? No, they are. They're well, from but Earth. They are oh, they are from Earth. Okay. Yeah. 
they are human. It's just 10,000 years in the future. Right. So right. Earth has been long abandoned. But yeah, I, I think that the, I mean, this, the reason that they give in the film that Ajax gives is that, well, because the people of this planet reversed what Thanos did, that makes them worth saving, which I think is a pretty good argument. Although, like, obviously that was, there were people from other planets who were involved in that process as well. But uh, for the most part, it was really people from Earth who did that. And that is a really notable thing if you consider that, like, they're, like, the purpose of the Eternals is to help, like, create life of untold, unfathomable potential by birthing these Eternals, uh, by birthing these Celestials. Then, like, the idea that, like, this one species on this one planet helped bring back trillions of lives like that does seem like it would warrant a reconsideration from the characters but i think more than that i i get the sense that this is the first time that they've actually lived amongst the people for a very long time on the planet that yeah. it's never specifically stated but it just the way that selma hayek performs her role as ajax in this maternal figure and like the way she keeps telling them to like you should live your life. You don't need to stay with us anymore. Live a life. There's something novel about that that I think probably hasn't happened before. And so that's made them more invested in the worlds that they call their home also. You almost feel like Ajax has had her own character arc over millennia that we're just getting the tail end of here. I, yeah, do, I like that, though. I, I like getting that see. sense of we're, we're seeing only one part of this big character. But I will say, I feel like I'm coming off more negative than I mean to, because I think that the flaws of this movie are really interesting to dive into. But one of the things that I think is a real strength and a real something that other Marvel movies have maybe tried to do, but really haven't come close to pulling off is this idea of family is really strong in this film. I think that like the messy dynamics of the family of a big kind of sweeping family where everyone has their own relationship with each other, but they, there is this kind of inherent connection that binds them. Even if they kind of hate each other, sometimes they still can't stop being connected to each other. Like I think that this movie, when it's working well, does that really strongly. Like I, you, I really get the sense that like Sprite and Cersei are like older sister, younger sister. And like that dynamic is really strong. I think the way that resolves is really interesting and feels very true to how that conflict would resolve in a family, or at least best case, you know, I think that there is a fraternal relationship with a lot of these characters. And, uh, and again, like my biggest complaint is like, I would have liked more of that. I would have liked to see that even more so. Um, it is kind of like the Twilight family where like they all seem to also have sex with each other, but that's totally <laughs> fine. I don't mind. <laughs> hey, eternal is hey, a, eternity is a long time. Right. Alex. You gotta get your kicks in somewhere. I mean, come on. <laughs> But what did you guys think about that in terms of like how this film functions as a family drama? I like more than anything else. I, yeah. I think it's I think it's the I think it's that emotional core that that keeps yeah. the film together. Yeah. I, I what I find so interesting about this movie is how like even within this family there's this little like alliances between the the siblings, <laughs> you know, like um, you know you yeah have, that's like, true that's just, that's and, a little detail. Uh, but... And I'm sorry, the the young woman that Druig is like friends with what's, what's her uh, name? Makari. 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 Yeah. yeah it's, like their it's little supposed to be like is, a derivative of Mercury. The, the oh, I see. Yeah. Uh, so like I like that. I like that. You know, Sprite. As annoying as I found her arc to be, I like that she was like you know the younger sibling that wanted to be older. Um, you know, Gilgamesh and Thena have their little connection. You know, Thassos is there. Like I liked. I like that, and I like that, you know, Kingo was the, like, 
you know, the class clown. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I like that. And I felt, I felt it really strongly with this movie, um, as well. And, um, and I think a lot of that is just that these actors are all just incredibly charismatic and incredibly just like add so much depth to these characters. I mean, like this movie has like a million characters, like, even like within the, in the cast and, um, and the lead of the team, you know, you know, like, you know, Ajak is, not, I was surprised, you know, by how she's introduced in the movie or like, like how she's like exist in flashbacks. I was surprised by that. Um, but it, so, but I liked, I liked that, you know, when they have, um, like without having this like mother figure, they're all just kind of like scrambling to figure out like how to move forward. And it's like, who, like, you know, um, Cersei's chosen for the leader, but like that causes tension in other, in other places. And, um, yeah, I, I liked, cause I, what I find kind of annoying about the Fast and Furious family thing, and I think the Avengers sometimes have this too, but I think they're a little better about it, is that there's no tension in the group, you know? And I yeah. like that there's mm-hmm. like real t- actual, like tangible tension in the Eternals. And the Avengers actually do have that, especially like Civil War and Infinity War. Um, I, but, I think the first Avengers and Civil War were probably the best examples. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um so and I like that the like it's not just easy fix by like okay we're just gonna survive this and have hug and drink Corona and we're fine like there's actual like Each fundamental warmer. problems that they have that that been boiling since they arrived in Mesopotamia <laughs> and um you know have been sort of festering for you know centuries and um but there's still that like there's still that loyalty there because they, they're literally the only ones on the planet who know what they've been through so. I I agree with you. I like that this was a really well handled family drama. Yeah, I, I I think one of the things that it made me think of just because they've been spending time away from each other for you know, I guess what centuries? centuries. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I was about to say millennia. I was like, well, fifteen hundred, so centuries. Yeah, um, is the way in which like how you you know if if it's someone that you've been close with when you come back together, you kind of fall back into those old rhythms. And I definitely felt that here with these characters. And I thought that that's something that I think is very true um, to family dynamics. And those are not always, you know, those are not always niceties. (laughs) Often, uh, you know, you are like, oh, right, this is what I found so annoying about this person. (laughs) So there's a lot of that. And at the same time, like each of them has changed in some way. Um, some for the better, I think, and and others just have kind of lived a life um, that is that is separate. And I think that it does a good job of kind of show, kind of showing that these people have changed, um, but that they still retain an, an essence of who they were when they were, you know, with one another. Um, so that's something I think that. Yeah, I think that's something that's that's very true about about families that especially have been apart uh, for for a time. And speaking of families, this is a notable film in the sense of that this is the first gay family to be on screen in a, in a mm-hmm. Marvel movie. And honestly, the first like prominently featured gay family in a Disney film overall. You know, there's a couple of instances of like lesbians dropping their daughter off to preschool in like Toy Story 4 or whatever. But for the most part, you know, we haven't really seen this in a Disney film. And I thought that was pretty um 
I, I appreciate the fact that they didn't make too much of a big deal out of it in the marketing because that has certainly been a problem with Disney in the past. We were like, look, we have a person mm-hmm. who's like listens to Lady Gaga, great representation for gay people, you know, just like the <laughs> most, the least like they could do and like giving the most credit. But I thought this was actually really good. And, and of course, like the film didn't get released in several markets because of that. I, I was, I, because I couldn't help it, I did notice that in the scenes where Ryan Tyree Henry is specifically talking about his uh, husband, uh, whenever they say something that would specifically identify it as a gay relationship, uh, the camera is on someone else and he's talking off screen in a way that clearly like they left themselves room to remove that and like re- like in translations and things like that, but they didn't actually do it. And I thought that was really nice. Mm. And, and I'm, I'm glad that they, didn't um censor themselves i don't think we need to give them too much credit for that you know because it's like wow you didn't you know kowtow to bigots in foreign countries or in our our country like good for you you know like that seems like the least you could do but um it's they haven't done it yet so you know that's notable at least and i think that brian tyree henry really plays a great kind of uh a role model for queer people like i think that he seems like a really loving father and attentive husband in this in this role and and his kind of family is an interesting contrast to the family that he's from, which is so much more mm. um, fraught <laughs> with many yeah. dynamics. Yeah. And I think that's I think that that's nice uh, from a storytelling perspective as well. Like he left these people to make something for himself, and it is so much more nurturing of a relationship um, and family unit than the one that he came from. And I, I don't know. I think that's like a very small thing, but that's something I think a lot of queer people could relate to. So. Um, I really liked that as well. Yeah, two things I want to point out about this that I really appreciated. Um, one is that the couple is uh, mixed race, but uh, it's two people of color. Um, mm-hmm. Because the actor is, I believe he's Lebanese. Yes. He's uh, his husband. And of course, Brian, Brian Tyne Henry is a black actor. And also that um, there was some uh, size diversity in that relationship as well. Um, and... You know, there's so much talk about uh, Camille Nagiani kind of you know, buffing up for this role, but this movie has, you know, two actors who are, you know, on the, who, you know, who are like kind of big guys who are superheroes, and, um, and I love, I just, I appreciate that because uh, I'm a big guy myself, and I appreciate seeing guys that look like me, you know, kicking ass um, without having to go through the whole like. Um, you know, six pack route. So I, I appreciated that. I mean, I agree with Alex 100%. I don't want to give them too much credit, but, you know, it is something more than we've seen from Disney or from a lot of major blockbusters. So, um, you know, it's, it's it's worth noting if not if it's not worth celebrating. Yeah, and and I think like a long time we, coming. Yeah. Well, you know, goes without saying. <laughs> Um, but I think another thing that has gotten some attention that we haven't spoken about at all is like the sex scene that's in this film that I was, I knew going in that there was a sex scene, but I was surprised, like, you know, it's not that explicit, but it is like slightly more explicit than I was expecting. You know, it's like, it's Mm. not just like they're kissing and with like their back to the camera and then it like pans to the moon. Like there's a little bit of a, there's a little bit more explicit stuff happening that I was like, Oh wow, that's, they're actually having sex. Like, that's like, you'd have to explain that to a seven year old, like what they're doing. Like, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> is that the age bar explaining it to a seven-year-old? I, I think so, because below that, no, like, they wouldn't even ask, you know? They would just be like, oh, whatever, you know? They'd be, oh, gross, they're kissing, you know? But above... Oh, your age, you should know by now. Exactly, yeah. I mean, every eight-year-old <laughs> Did you? What did you guys think about the inclusion of that in the story? Or body positivity. Yeah, I mean, and you don't, I mean, like, you basically see, like, their bare backs, essentially. Like, you know, you don't see a lot, but... I guess what I appreciated was that it felt like just kind of the natural course that their relationship would take at that point. Like it just it felt more like a reflection of their feelings for one another than it felt like, OK, now we need to have a sex scene. Um, yeah, well, that that's what a good sex scene is supposed to It didn't to feel shoehorned in because, yeah. gosh, you know, I've seen enough movies where that's been the case. So, yeah, um, and it. And yeah. it would be kind of insane to have a, a relationship that's gone on for literally like thousands of years and you don't have any insight into a physical connection between them at all like that yeah. i do agree that that would be a weird story point like choice from that perspective so i'm i'm glad that they did that yeah. although i would yeah. have rather um druig and makari be the ones to get the sex scene i'll be honest because they actually hmm. had really strong chemistry whereas you know richard madden and Demma chan i don't think had the best chemistry of of the pairings <laughs> I'm going to be honest. It, it's I, sort of, it almost feels like he decides, like, yes, I am in love with this person. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to go and be super awkward with the natives. <laughs> I So I'm curious, how did you guys feel about Richard Madden? Because he might be the one performance in here that I'm maybe not as high on. I think he has some great, like, like scenes <laughs> where he has to show, like, real emotion and conflict. And I think those are really good. It's more the scenes of his stoicism where I'm just like, I know what he's trying to do, where he's trying to, like, keep it repressed and we're supposed to feel that. I just never quite felt it in the way that I wanted to. I get I get what you're I get what you're saying. I mean, his the the moment of his betrayal and how he kind of deals with that, I actually thought was a pretty was a pretty was a very affecting moment. Um, mm. But it, it is the only time where I would say that his performance and this, the decisions that he make. Uh, really stood out to me as being noteworthy. Yeah, I almost wish that um, the Stark boys had swapped roles in a way, because I think that um, Kit is much better at brooding than Richard is. And <laughs> um, and it would have also been fun to see Richard Madden play a little bit more of a comedic um, sensibility. And just kind I of mean, like, Kit has quite a lot of experience now in playing brooding. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> seasons! Like, they were just, I mean, they're just so well cast in their Game of Thrones roles, where, like, Richard Madden is the prince who was promised, and then Kit is the brooding outsider who then, you know, but in the Game of Thrones universe, the prince gets slayed and the brooding outsider becomes the hero. Um, but I, so I think that, like, Richard Madden works as this guy who you want to, who you think is going to be your natural hero, but then now there's something more nefarious going on, like, in terms of subverting his his on-screen present um like persona i get why they would do that i don't know if he has as strong of a handle on his dark side to actually pull that off though i i kind of agree i i also found like you know obviously we're spoiling the film at this point but the choice at the end to just like fly <laughs> into the sun i mean i get like icarus right he flew too close to the sun got it okay but I, it just <laughs> felt a little bit under motivated for him to just go kill himself and also just like I can't believe that a Marvel movie ended with like one of the main characters killing themselves. Like that's pretty <laughs> wild. <laughs> so I don't know. I'm kind of mixed in that respect. I have to say <laughs> that that flying up to the sun I, I laughed because I'm like 
<laughs> you know, I understand that, like, he created that myth, or someone in the Eternals created that myth, you know? So he's not named uh-huh. after the character. Um, but I, uh, I just, I was like, it's too, it's too on the nose for me in a way that, and I guess like I found it goofy in, I guess in an endearing way, you know, whatever. I'm not going to hold the movie against that. I mean, it's kind of an easy joke that I would take if I were a screenwriter. So, um, <laughs> I, I, I can't, I can't fault them for that. Um, I, regarding Richard Madden, I kind of agree. Um, I think that in he's ha- having to play that kind of like golden boy, like kind of like natural hero, like a Captain America type. It really takes someone like a Chris Evans to pull that off in a way that's a little mm. interesting. And I, I think you know Joel Kinnaman <laughs> found that right balance in the the James Gunn Suicide Squad. Um, yeah, I guess I can't argue that Richard Madden's quite up to the task, and also to handle the the shift. Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see the Stark boys switch roles. Um, just like it'll be interesting to see Salma Hayek and Angelina Jolie switch roles too. Like in some ways, like those two are like those two pairs are like mirrors of each other. Where it's like, oh, I wonder what it'd be like to have them switch and see what that what that's kind of gives what 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 that gives you. Um, but I think that his scene with Salma Hayek in Alaska, I thought was really well handled. Like he was, I thought he was really chilling in that scene. Um, partially because I knew that it's like she knew and I knew what was going to happen to her yeah. in that in that moment. So I'm like that added to his performance because there was just so much dread. Um, yeah. So I think that that was his that was his shining moment for me. Um, but I think he's on, he's getting to like the dangerous side of being kind of bland, handsome hero type. So you know what I mean? Where it's like, I, he needs to work on his edge a bit more. But I think, you know, considering this is his first like kind of like big leading role, um, I think, right? Yeah, for a film. For a yeah, film, it's like this huge. Um, yeah, like I mean, he I had a big. Oh, the Netflix the, show, right? Yeah, Bodyguard, and that he yeah, was the lead yeah. of that, and that was very successful. But that was still yeah. television. That's still television, mm-hmm. where it's like, and I don't think that has a lot of special effects. Like this is like a big, you know, yeah, this is MCU. Yeah. Um, so uh, considering that, I think he acquitted himself well, especially against you know someone as wonderful as Gemma Chan, you know, acting opposite her, um, and Salma Hayek, you know, two incredible actresses. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I have no complaints about Gemma Chan. I don't think that, like, I don't think that their connection, like, her connection with him totally works the way that it's supposed to. But right. I don't think that's her fault at all. Like, I don't lay that at her you feet. Know, I think she's giving a really excellent performance. And she has I, a lot to manage in that role. <laughs> I thought, like, you know, I, you guys know I love romance movies. And sometimes, like, with a story, with a kind of story... Um, that's kind of working in this manner, you just have to buy the romance, you know, like we're not seeing their courtship as much as you would. in like, if this were a standard romance movie with only those, you know, because like, you know, as we're saying, there's so many characters and there's so many plot lines, like there just isn't much time to develop that, that romance. And like the way that the story is, the way their romance is presented in the story, like where it's like, you know, they're post breakup and they have to kind of wrestle with those, you know, the, the tension after that, um, you just kind of have to buy it. And like a lot of old movies kind of have this thing too, where it's like 
they fall in love in a day, you just kind of have to like accept it. And you know, <laughs> because uh, because like it's just the story doesn't work unless you accept it. And I mean, I, yeah, I get, no. I totally see what you're saying, Alex. And like, you know, I think that obviously, if this were an extra like 20 minutes longer, or if there were fewer characters, you know, I would love to see that build up more and get get like beef it up more. Um, but we well, got I, the whole yeah, scene of them I, making Babylonian pancakes. I mean, yeah, <laughs> it doesn't get more romantic than that. I mean, nothing. Uh, actually, the part that really sold the romance for me actually happens at the end with that little montage of him, like, kind of remembering all their memories together. And, like, there's that scene where he's, like, watching her, like, braid that girl's hair or something. I was like, that this sells me the romance more because I'm seeing him, like, actually, like, happy. And yeah, you're seeing her through his eyes in that moment. Yeah, you see yeah. it more there, yeah. That's Chloe Zhao, just doing what she does best, like, conveying so much emotion through montage. You know, yeah. she did that so well. In Nomadland. So, but I think honestly, I could almost go with what you're saying. But the problem is, is that the movie features another couple in Makari and Druig who get even less screen time and have way more chemistry and way more of a powerful connection. Yeah, no, they they pop whenever they're together in the shot. Because like the the emotional core of the movie doesn't rest on their shoulders. Yeah, I guess that is true. Pressure for them, I think. It's, and I, I'm not sure if I saw romantic. I thought I saw more of like friendship, brother, sister. Oh, so I, I don't know. thought it was very romantically coded. Yeah, they okay, looked like they I wanted just... to bust, I think. <laughs> the that one thing like, that I will like, say, though, her, her back shouting, to... like in response to that, that was also a pretty emotional moment. I was like, ooh, that 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 got to me. Yeah. yeah. The one thing that I will say, going back to Richard Madden, though, is that mm. in Rocket Man, he actually plays a like huge asshole very effectively like a sexy asshole oh, like right. it's basically yeah. his role in that movie yeah. and he does that really well so i think that he sh- i think that the problem here if you could isolate it in his performance is probably trying to shift between those two modes right the like yeah. kind of like upstanding prince charming and then oh no he's actually like a murder robot like you know <laughs> i think that sh- trying to make that all be consistent in one person is what he had a hard time with because he plays like a devilish bastard in rocket man very well right right yeah um so i know we're getting kind of close to our time so i did want to give a little bit uh to talk about the credit sequences here we get two of them um and i'm sure alex you'll probably be able to explain some of who these characters are a little bit better oh um um, not so much (laughs) (laughs) maybe i'm just used to you being like our go-to guy of knowing like the marvel mythos even if you haven't necessarily read the comics well we're justin at this point we're getting closer to the bottom of the barrel this is very (laughs) many levels down in the marvel i mean i could tell you a little bit of what's happening but not a whole lot Uh, the um, most important takeaway is that one direction are the offspring of thanos like that's be, I mean, no, to be fair, I think we all knew that. Literally. But, no, that's, yeah, that's not right, Noah. It's, it's, uh, it's Harry Styles is playing Thanos' brother, Arrows. Ergo, Josh Brolin's brother. Looks absolutely, <laughs> yes. absolutely nothing like Thanos. Which... Well, they're not supposed that's, to look alike because the in the point, comics, yeah. yeah, in the comics, it's like he is this kind of, like, the Harry Styles character is sort of this, like, golden boy sort of guy who actually like has a superpower that makes people horny around them like so good casting um for him uh yeah and then like thanos is this sort that. of like is the is a deviant in the comics whereas but in the comics deviants so and eternals have totally different in the purple skin is a deformity in the Marvel's universe it's, Exactly. Yes. And he kind of like internalizes that deformity. And that's why he hates 
his family and his and the world of Titan, and that's why he courts death because he wants to prove himself, and then that's why he tries to destroy half the universe. Um, but I don't know how it's, it's going to be really interesting to it's going to be interesting to see how that gets incorporated because I do think that they kind of say that Eros is both Thanos's brother and an Eternal in yeah. the post-credit scene, but that doesn't really make any sense when we know what the Eternals and the Deviants are within the Marvel like cinematic universe. Um, so I don't really know how they're gonna how they're gonna square that circle. It's kind of confusing to like change everything about these two character like these two sets of characters and then also maintain this connection. But I don't know that like in terms of casting, like I said, if you have to have a guy who has like literally um, like his superpower is making people horny for him, Harry Styles was a pretty good choice. So I'm I'm here I don't for know. that. I feel like, I feel and, pretty not horny every time I think about direction. Well, you're saying <laughs> you're saying <laughs> Pip does not have those powers. Pip Patrol does not have those same powers, as far as I know from the comics, but people do love (laughs) Pip in the comics. Like, he's a big fan favorite, and I think Patton Oswalt playing him is really cool, so happy to see that. Also, Uh, why they wanted to use the worst CGI in the movie to depict him, apparently. (laughs) Well, you know, it's It is very jarring. It is very, (laughs) very jarring. After after all of the, you know, aesthetic... F the entire aesthetic of the movie to get that. It's. I think I just like, like okay. remember how bad uh, Thanos looked in the Stinger to Age of Ultron, <laughs> and then like he looked so much better when it when it was Infinity War. So let's hope we have a similar sort of I situation there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just for the record, Harry Styles as part of your direction is not like what I'm talking about when I say he is incredibly uh, charismatic and sexy. It's more of like his post One Direction career. Um, where he's uh, just yeah, like, like, you know, water, yeah, post Dunkirk, you know, watermelon sugar, Olivia Wilde era. Exactly. That's, that's what we're talking yeah. about. Gotcha. And, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Um, watermelon sugar, I mean, not for this podcast, but I have so many thoughts. I just can't believe that that's a thing that just plays casually on the radio in CBS. Um, but anyway, uh, <laughs> it's like, don't you guys know what this song's about? Uh, no, the answer is no, people don't know what it's about, but anyway, um, so yeah, and then the the last the last um, the last uh, scene, the post post credit scene, uh, is a tease to what the future of the Kit Harrington character is. Dane Whitman oh. uh, comics is a famous of uh, uh, like B level Avengers character called the Black Knight, um, where he wields a magic sword that makes him a like medieval knight, I guess. Um, and I didn't realize this. There's like a person who talks to him off camera and they're like, are you sure you want to do that, Dane? And I didn't know who that was. I couldn't place the voice. But I listened to an interview with Kumail Nanjiani on the Ringerverse, the Ringers like nerd podcast. Um, and he confirmed uh, he said he wasn't sure if he was allowed to confirm this, but he did anyway, that it's a Mahershala Ali's blade is the one yeah. talking to him. Okay. So I think it that's... sounded like I couldn't tell if it was Mahershala Ali or Samuel. It's a... I thought it was Samuel Jackson at first. I thought it was uh, like either Samuel Jackson or I, yeah. I thought it also could have been um, Benedict Wong also because like he's yeah. kind of do- doing some recruiting with like the Abomination lately, you know. So I didn't yeah. I, and, it, right. and they weirdly have similar deep voices. So I I <laughs> but I had no idea it was Mahershala Ali. That was, was also thinking radar. like yeah. you know the end credit scenes in Shang Chi. It seemed like Benedict Wong was, like, doing a lot to, like, recruit people, right? So, yeah. 
that's what I, I, that makes sense too. Um, and uh, because aside from Ajax mentioning Thanos, I mean, how did this really connect to the end game? Like, I, it, it well, doesn't, it right? basically it just sets up like post no. end game. Yeah, and there's, like, lines in the trailer that are not in the film at all, where they try to make a more direct connection, where they're like, oh, the energy that from all of the people coming back was... And it's like, no, that's actually not really what was going on. It was just, like, the yeah. like the, the, the immersion was going to happen, and then, and, like, and then Infinity War happened, and all the people left, and then there wasn't enough people around for the immersion to happen, and then when the people came back, now the immersion's happening again. <laughs> I thought it was funny. She was like, yeah, Thanos delayed the immersion by five years. And I was like, so this guy waited thousands of years, but then <laughs> poor guy had to wait another five years. <laughs> yeah, what a bummer. I mean, it's just like when you're, like, you know, you're pregnant, and it's like you're, like, a week you past your due, due date. date. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, when will this come out? <laughs> <laughs> but uh but yeah it doesn't there's so many trailers like so many uh, especially like the tv commercials were all like the the marvel cinematic universe will never be the same everything you know about the marvel cinematic universe will change it's like i mean i guess in the sense of like actually there was a secret like alien giant living in the earth this whole time but like yeah. <laughs> other than that it doesn't really affect things very much i thought there would be more of a connection at some point. All right, so here's going to be... This could have been a larger topic. Who did it better, Steven Universe or Chloe Zhao? <laughs> I was wondering if you were going to bring that up, Noah. <laughs> That's uh, for those who don't know. In Steven All Universe, of you who are listening, if you know, you know. There is yeah, I, I don't know. Something. Yeah. <laughs> What's the similar plot point in Steven Universe? Part of the world of Steven Universe is there is like an intergalactic empire of sentient gemstones who colonize planets uh, and put, like, giant gemstones inside of them to gestate. And when the gemstones are ready to hatch, then, like, the planet disintegrates. So it's basically the same concept. And you eventually find out that there is such a, a giant gemstone creature in the middle of Earth, and that eventually becomes a plot point, that it is set to hatch and destroy the planet. Yeah. And Stephen... Stephen must mollify. Steven, Steven and his uh, crew of, of gemstone mit- misfits must find a way to stop it from happening. It, it's very much like the same plot, essentially, <laughs> and the same comic, well, but handled handled in much in a much different way. I wonder. I wonder if um, Rebecca Sugar had any um, like time reading Eternals comic books in the past, because this Rebecca is Rebecca Sugar, ex- Chloe Zhao. You got a sh- not the in same. there. Yeah, they're not the same person. Um, but <laughs> have you ever but, seen them in the same room, Alex? No, I've never seen I them not. in a room. So <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> but uh, but this is like I I was read after I watched the movie. I did some uh, research on what the deal is with the Eternals in the comic books, and it's wild. And like some of it is way different from this. And I, it just like well, hats off just to the screenwriters who tried to make sense of that like mythology and like actually turned it into something that usable because yeah. it is like crazy. Um, it, I like, think we the whole cons- there were a lot of drugs that went into the con- the conceptualizing well, of the Eternals. Well, like for one thing, like the whole conceit is like, Oh, these are these like eternal, like godlike figures who like human society has mistaken as gods. And that's why their names are similar to the names of gods. Like, but oh, then, Oh, I'm by the like way, four. it's, no, but it's in the Marvel universe, so also the gods actually exist as well. So it's like, what do you mm. like? What like? <laughs> how does that even make any sense? 
<laughs> you're like, oh, like Macari is like, oh, people thought it was Mercury, and that's how the myth of Mercury started. But also, Mercury is a real character in the world of Marvel and friends with Thor or yeah. friends with Hercules. And it's like just the Greek like, gods are in the Marvel comics, so it's like yes. I'm yeah. I'm just waiting for them to pop up. Exactly. So it's it's kind <laughs> of a it's kind of a mess. Yes. But anyway, um, yeah. the the thing that I think is interesting is that um, celestials in comics are very large but not quite as large as they're being presented in this marvel cinematic universe where they're like the mm. size of planets they're more like well, bigger you know like they're like they're, the size of solar systems no no they're like smaller than that like because like a celestial in the marvel universe is notably smaller than say galactus who is like big enough to eat a planet right but yeah. the celestials here seem big enough to eat a planet and so i'm thinking that they might retcon galactus into an eternal and that that might be like we mm. might we're we're talking about this as not feeling particularly connected to what seems like they're setting up for for the future of the franchise but i think that maybe we look back at this in five years and see like oh they're actually the way that they're setting up the celestials is actually really important to where the next phase is going when it comes to like fantastic four and stuff like that well, but there is a there is a there is a Blade movie that's coming out in two years, and I think now that's basically confirmation that Kit Harrington is going to be in it, which is like mm. very kind of wild that like Blade is going to feature like a guy who is a like a medieval knight. Like I don't get how that. I mean, I guess like maybe they're going to be raiding castles with vampires. So who knows? I mean, anything can happen when it comes to Blade. Like <laughs> they made three very different movies when they made those movies originally. I, so am I am. Would I be correct in making the assumption that ultimately uh, Shang-Chi's Ten Rings are going to end up being uh, eternal technology? Well, that's what I thought it was, and I thought that there would be a connection to that here, and there was Because there are a lot so. of rings on a lot of fingers in this movie. Well, they mentioned that it's like, oh, like it's like in the post credit scene to that movie, like they mentioned that there's a beacon and calling something to the planet, and it's like, oh, I figured that was going to be Celestials, but now it seems like Arisham was just, is going to do judgment war anyway so and then it's like maybe Arisham like says oh like um like human society the world has failed and then he sends galactus to eat us and then like everybody has to fight galactus like that's kind of the theory that i have like maybe that's what's gonna happen <laughs> mm. yeah. but then i don't know where the ring beacon comes into play but i mean the color aesthetic is so different right you've got that like glowing blue versus the more like golden yeah. kind of uh insignia so i don't know it's yeah it, it i don't know i i still think it might have something to do with something we haven't seen yet but you know i guess we'll see manish what do you think if we're kind of speculating wildly about the future of the mcu and where all this fits i have no idea um just be i i, I think what's kind of cool about this phase of the mcu is that like i don't really know what's coming because they're playing in such a different ball game now with all this like you know outer space you know, like, stuff going on that, like, it just seems like, I think, like, they could really do anything with it. And I, I'm excited to see how it all plays together, um, you know, including whatever's going to happen in Doctor Strange in, in that sequel, um, and, you know, what happens with the future of Shang-Chi and, and, and these guys. Like, yeah, I, I, I also don't know the comics at all so a lot of the post-credit scene just flew right over my head and i was like i forgot that i forgot that like the harry style spoiler like was a thing 
that was like two weeks ago when it just was casually spoiled yeah. on, on Twitter and I forgot mm-hmm. about that and I was like, oh wait, who is that? Because I've re- I've really bad like it's hard for me to like pick out who an actor is like if I'm not prepared to see them. Yeah, well, like, and I also, know this... Harry Styles with short hair looks like a different looks person. different. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I I also didn't I didn't see it coming that Kit Harrington would be a like involved in like the actual like I thought he was just like a kind of goofy side like you know like the human love interest that gets kind of you know thrown around a bit you know mm. um so that was a surprise to me I didn't didn't know that was Blade so I'm excited to see how that plays out I want to see I I really am interested in seeing how the Eternals mix with you know Shang Chi and and whoever else is coming in the future especially Shang Chi just because like I want to see like how like that ancient um, you know that ancient power mixes with this ancient power and see like you know just like how that how they interact um, if they do it all and I, I'm excited because I feel like I can't see the um, the blueprints like you do kind of could with. Um, you know, with the first couple phases of the MCU where it was like, okay, we're going to set up the Avengers and then we're going to set up, you know, Civil War and then we're going to set up, you know, Infinity War. Not that I saw the ending of Infinity War coming either, but I guess like there were just, there are more pieces to play with and I, now I feel like we don't have that many pieces to play with yet um, because, you know, so many new characters are being introduced in their own movies. Um, and also seeing later how Julia Lewis Drive is kind of, we know what she does and yeah that's right um you know with the new black widow uh you know florence Pugh decides to come back which i'm sure she, I, I think she's already going to be in the disney plus show of some sort probably. yeah she, she's going to be in hawkeye which comes yeah. out in two weeks so i guess i gotta start watching these disney plus shows because i've been avoid like i watched wandavision because i was interested in that but like if they're really going to play because like, i didn't watch that many of the netflix shows because like i basically they weren't going to play into the movies um, but now I guess I got to because it's going to be more connected. So yeah, you could you could skip What If, but you should definitely <laughs> see Loki and I'm, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think is going to play in terms of it's a, that's a show that doesn't totally work, but it features like a zillion characters who are going to keep popping up. So it's worth watching for that at least. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Including Julie. Oh. So maybe that's why I also feel like I don't see the I don't see the blueprint because I'm not caught up on Loki or. Yeah, Loki is a must-watch for the future of the MCU. Okay. Shockingly, because, like, you would think, like, okay. Well, that's the thing. I was like, a Loki (laughs) spinoff, who cares? I love Loki, but, like, I just, yeah. I guess I gotta, like, really orient myself on how I approach all this stuff. It's, well, that's what they want you to do anyway. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, I'm trying to get hired by Disney, so I guess I should be enthusiastic about it. So, yeah, you have to. Yeah. Yeah, I, I also want to say Eros seems like a character who would fit right in with the Guardians, and so I wonder if we might see, like, this little, like, this half-team of the Eternals and Eros, like, in the Guardians movie before yeah. we see again in Eternals. I know that, like, Nate Moore, who's a producer uh, at Marvel, came out last week saying that um, Eternals doesn't necessarily need to have a sequel. It was kind of like a weird way of hedging their bets, where they're like, well, you know, we're not committed to doing that. Like, it's not essential. 
the the movie ends clearly setting up a sequel, so I think that's kind of wild. Um, but I think like they got spooked by the bad reviews. But it seems to be doing very well at the box office this week. We'll see if it kind of continues into future weeks. But it's opening like a normal Marvel movie does. So actually, I would be surprised if we don't. Not see to um, yeah, not to continue this any longer. But um, what was your audience reactions like? Because my audience ate this movie up. Like they were they were clapping at the end. They were like cheering you know with with harry styles came out um they i feel like it was a really positive response in my audience yeah keep my audience got really excited when harry styles came out as well yeah. it was like ooh, like there was it was one of those things where like half the people were like reacted and then the other half the people were like why is everyone reacting <laughs> <laughs> yes. and that was fun um it was it was after midnight when the when the showing let out so it was hard to know like how people were really feeling i did hear one person say this was a five out of ten in like a very declarative way that i was like you're obnoxious i don't like you um <laughs> but but otherwise yeah i mean i think people were pretty into it when i was watching it yeah i i mean i saw it with like a packed crowd maybe not the ideal circumstances given <laughs> everything that's still going on in our world but um they seem to really like it they definitely laughed a lot and um i would say maybe i probably felt more confusion at the harry styles revelation um than uh than joy and certainly for me i had to think like they were building him up so much i'm like okay it's probably gonna be an actor i recognize and then they showed his face and i had to like think about it for a solid maybe 10 seconds before i realized who it was because i don't follow one direction and i don't really know apart from dunkirk i don't really know who harry styles is as an actor so that's going to be interesting to see but he's well he's going to be in the new olivia wilde movie yeah yes. right yeah the movie that may or may not have broken up her marriage um but we we have no choice but to stand um and yeah yeah it's <laughs> did other people in the audience notice him right away did, were you the one saying why is everyone I would, excited i would say no i would say more people were confused they were like okay. huh? like i i mean i didn't it was more like it was more silence than you know cheering or sure. anything like that <laughs> well i didn't know if they were cheering for harry styles or for that character but I think it was more hairstyles. Yeah, nobody nobody knows who Thanos' brother is, so I <laughs> I don't think they were cheering. Like so many of these credit sequences feel like they're engineered to get you to look up who that character is supposed to be in yeah, the exactly. in mythology. I, I, I read um, <laughs> Alex Abed uh, Santos's explainer on Vox on the train right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, there's uh, a whole industry of this online, just like yeah. Oh yeah. Like, oh, what, yeah. It, Eternals end credit sequence explains <laughs> like things. The best is when they like do those for movies that like where the ending is not ambiguous at all. They're like, yeah. you know, just like uh, Saving Private Ryan uh, ending explains. Yeah. Like I got it. He got old. Thanks. Um. <laughs> well, on that note, <laughs> we we should wrap things up um, here. And so let's talk about uh, where we can find everybody these days. Um, I'll start with our guest, Manish. Where's the best place to find you online? The best place to find me online is on Twitter at the Manish89. That's T-H-E-M-A-N-I-S-H-89. Also, you can find me on Letterboxd under my name. Um, and I do host two podcasts, The Pod to Be You, which is about romance films and queer now, which I co-host with Dave Giannini about queer movies. However, both are on hiatus for the moment, as I am in my first year of my MBA. So um, 
it's a little bit of a, a lot of demands on my time with that, so I mm. kind of had to put the shows on hiatus. However, I'm hoping to uh, bring back one or both of them in the new year. So uh, look out for that. Um, there are all all the full libraries are available to you. So if anyone cares to um, seek those out, there's hundreds of episodes there. Not hundreds, maybe about like 75. But there's a number of episodes there for you. So um, I please listen to them because it's they're they're good fun. Yeah. I, and I also will just say on a I didn't get to mention this earlier, but um, your initial review of the movie Dune actually made me like laugh out loud. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I would recommend people check that out. I don't want to spoil. Yeah, it, my but, uh... <laughs> my uh, my uh, mo with Letterbox is to very rarely take it seriously and just do yeah. a lot of dumb jokes uh, because <laughs> people who write paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs in Letterbox, you know. I, some people are very good at that, but most of them aren't. So yeah. I just like to make it as dumb as possible. So yeah, please <laughs> check that out. Yeah, any any Letterboxd review that's more than three paragraphs is usually a red flag. Um, yeah. But I, right. <laughs> I love the brevity and wit of yours. You're, you're you. a, a modern day Jane Austen. <laughs> um, so Noah, how about for you? Where can we find you online? Well, in addition to my work here at the Cinema Joes, you should all definitely check out the uh, podcast about the discography of Genesis that Justin and I did a while back called Pod on the Rooftops. And you can also check out my written materials on my blog at francenoir.blogspot.com. Yes. Where you have uh, your, of course, Star Wars novel, which I swear I will read one day. (laughs) (laughs) Two chapters to go. Um, and as for me, you can find my work on thecinemaverick.com. That's my website. I'm also on Letterboxd at the Cinemaverick, uh, updating things when I feel like it or when I have time more, <laughs> more apt uh, to say that. And let's end with you, Alex. Yeah, so you can follow me on Twitter and Letterboxd at MediaThinkings. Um, you can follow my work as podcast editor of popbreak.com by going to thepopbreak.com and clicking on the podcast tab, seeing all the podcasts that I am uh, supervising, overlooking, producing a lot of fun stuff on movies and music and TV and uh, sometimes even a little bit of wrestling, um, <laughs> believe it or not. Um, and uh, you can podcast that I do on that is called TV Break, which is part of the Pop Break TV podcast feed. So you can definitely check that out first Wednesday of every month over there. Uh, next month, we're going to be doing our uh, best of the year episode, which is always a lot of fun. So you can definitely check that Ooh. out. Very exciting. This uh, this week, yeah. um, sorry, this month's uh, episode was decidedly not fun. It was like a lot of bummer topics, but I think it was a good uh. episode. <laughs> uh, you know, so you could, if you're looking for something that's serious and not that fun, um, you can listen to this month's. And if you want something a little bit more fun and festive, wait until next month. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, good to know yeah we talked about like dave Chappelle at netflix and then like oh. colin kaepernick's netflix show which mm-hmm. deals with a lot of serious stuff and you know a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff going on but gotcha. also succession was back and you can hear me kind of like just rant incoherently about how much i love succession so there's that too nice <laughs> well we want to thank all of our listeners and our subscribers thanks for sticking with us uh we will be back very soon Uh, But for now, this is Justin from Cinema Joe's, signing off.